welcome to the Green Schooner podcast. This is a production of greenschooner.beer, an online craft beer delivery service based in Kirkcaldy. With this podcast, we're hoping to bring you not only the latest in products, shop updates, but also hoping to interview members of the alcohol trade. People who work in breweries, people who make the malt that goes into our beer, people who help get it into your glass, people like us. This week we speak to Melissa Cole, one of the finest beer writers in the country, and we cover a lot of ground in, in quite, a, quite a short space of time. Um, deep into the episode, we do have a bit of an audio disaster where the laptop falls into the beer, but fear not, we managed to muddle through and get a pretty good recording in. In terms of shops for updates, we have Christmas packs with Melissa Cole Boots, the most recent pair that I mentioned in the podcast, The Ultimate Guide to Craft Beer, and the Little Book of Lager. Other, elsewhere on the shop, we also have Allagash Triple. Now, this is quite a quite a get for me. Um, Allagash is a brewery that I've been a big fan of from whenever I first was able to get a hold of them. They've not really been that common in the UK, but are now sort of popping up here and there. My one big trip to Boston a few years ago, we were hoping to make it up to Allagash in Portland, Maine. But after coming back from Vermont, we looked at everything we had and we just went, this is pretty excessive, we can't justify a trip. Um, Allagash as well is very well known for their social media and their very, very beautiful photography, so check out their uh, social medias as well. For our social media, we have Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, Green Schooner KDY on Instagram, Green Schooner on Twitter, where we definitely do a lot more posting, but we're trying to use all formats in a little bit more. And yeah, let's get into the podcast this week. Melissa, welcome to the Green Schooner podcast. How are you doing? I'm alright, thanks, pal. How are you? Very well, very well. Are you drinking beer? I am not. I am having um, a few days off. I, I had a, a relatively fun and boozy weekend and it's a Tuesday night and uh, so I'm trying to be I'm trying to be very good. I'm, I've been on a, a fairly um, a fairly uh, uh, well behaved um, regime over the last three well sort of started in in lockdown and it's effectively it's just about uh, just taking a little bit more care of myself um, which is nice. Mind you, I didn't really have a lot else to do, so it seemed like the good time to start. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's going well. Um, apparently, I've become somebody who goes to the gym five times a week. That's news to me. Oh, I see that. Uh, but then if you go to the pub afterwards... Uh, right, Friday nights, I'm, I go to the pub afterwards. Um, so I go to my little local bottle shop quite frequently, So, which is microbeers, um, so, but not always. Um, so yeah, sometimes I go and... Go and, um, and sit and look haggard and have a beer i'm sure everybody else loves it <laughs> it's, a, it's about when you look haggard really when you're in the pub if, if, if you look haggard in the pub at 11 a.m that's a very different story to looking haggard in the pub at 6 7 p.m it is but you know they also have to tolerate me in lycra as well so they get double bubble <laughs> you know what i'm, I'm safer to provide <laughs> I've got my one of my one of my darling friends, uh, Joe, who's actually getting a second mention in the podcast for the uh, for the second day in a row. Um, I did a great podcast yesterday, um, just brief sort of ten minute interview with a guy um, who has a sausage podcast, and it's 
got the most magnificent name ever, Prick with a Fork, which makes me howl. Um, and uh, and my friend Joe and I, we, we make sausages together, so I mentioned that. Um, and uh, actually, I went to meet Joe for a cuppa just before I was going to go um, to do a workout once. And it was winter and it was cold. And so I sort of stuck a pair of long boots on over over my workout leggings and was kind of wrapped up. And I and I and I walked in and said, uh, "Listen, I I, I apologise for the for the uh, for the uh, gratuitous lycra, um, and that's now my the name of um, our hair metal band." <laughs> so we're working we're working on our difficult second album right now. <laughs> so there we go. I did, I did see that pop up in the timeline. I will need to get that downloaded and listen to it as well. <laughs> as if I have any time for pod, your podcast in my life, Jesus. <laughs> well, I'm the, here I am recording a podcast as well, so you know. That's right. Where are you? It says episode one. Yeah, I know. You're the you're you're officially the first guest so far. Oh my god! I feel incredibly touched. Thank you. Others signed up in the future to do it. Um, Crappy Maltsters up in Austin Muskie. Um, yep. I had a little bit of a chat with them. They want to kind of do something, and they're kind of they do a lot of local beer, supply a lot of local beers as well. Um, so that's a nice bit of synergy. And Chris Hall from Howlin' Hops has mm-hmm. agreed to do it whenever I whenever I get around to actually hollering at him for it. Well, that um, should be obscure and entertaining. <laughs> oh, it always is with Chris. It always yep. will be. I, I love that man so much. He's so lovely. He is. Um, and from there, I've kind of still kind of got a look sort of slightly further down the line, but I've, you know, there's other people that I'm sure will will Absolutely. as well. Um, so first off, I guess we have to start at the beginning. What is the Melissa Cole origin story? <laughs> um, I think to be honest, most of most of the stuff that I've I've um I've I've not had a career path. I've had a career meander, um, which kind of sums up um my personality rather neatly. I guess um, I actually started doing journalism when I was about fourteen. Um, I had my first front page in a local paper when I was sixteen, I think. Yeah, sixteen or seventeen. Um, it was about an attempted abduction of a child from the local hospital, um, and uh, um, then I went to university and I fell out of journalism. I loved with journalism for a while, um, and sort of fell into a lot of student politics and things like that. And then I left uni, kind of a bit disillusioned. <clears throat> a few things had happened. Um, I'd had some run-ins with um, a few uh, rather unpleasant political factions and had had to sort of deal with with um, a few issues around that. And um, then I sort of left and, and, and just was very disillusioned. My, my course left me disillusioned. My lecturers left me disillusioned. Um, and I felt that I didn't possibly want to be a journalist. I didn't feel like maybe I could hack it as a journalist and... All those sorts of things that happened to you. I had a, I had a midlife crisis in my early twenties, and uh, so anyway, so I, I, I sort of actually washed up uh, temping in the production department of the um, pub trade paper, and I suddenly thought, do you know what? I've fallen back in love with journalism again. I could write about pubs and booze for a living. Get in. So I then um, every time. The editor went outside for a cigarette. I went with him and stood there. I've got to green journalism, you know. I've got to green journalism, you know. I've got to green journalism, you know. 
And eventually, um, I kind of got pulled aside and, and said, uh, right, you got a degree in journalism then? It's like, yeah. And I kind of panicked because I'd been responsible for typing up the law column, which used to come in. And yes, kids, this is how old I am. This used to come in on uh, legal paper, typed on a typewriter that had two keys missing. And you had to take sometimes take a bit of a flying guess as to what the word was. And for some bizarre reason, I've got it into my head that I, I think I was a little bit, um, I think it was a little bit of an emotional time of the month for me. And uh, I, uh, I got it into my head that I'd done something wrong and had managed to somehow type um, that some wrong word in the law column and that was it. The paper was getting sued and we were all doomed and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, they said, so we'd like to offer you a job. So I promptly burst into tears. Um, once I pulled myself together, I sort of came back and snivelled yes and was very excited, and I became a junior reporter. And um, But then it suddenly occurred to me, how was I getting a job? Because the news desk was supposed to be fully staffed. And then I realised that one of the reporters hadn't been around for a while. So I went to the news editor and said, well, listen, where's, where's so-and-so? And he said, well, I don't think I can really talk about it. It's like, come on! Look, you're hiring me to be a professional nosy cow now. You've got to tell me. And so anyway, it turns out this guy had sent, been sent out on assignment. Well, this is what I was told anyway. Sent out on assignment and um, to cover a licensed features conference in the depths of Wales somewhere and had never come home again. So immediately my heart's like, oh, is he okay? Is everything all right? What's wrong? So, as we before we were so rudely interrupted by your microphone committing suicide into your beer glass, as I was saying, that the um, the the person who's uh, who, who was um, the spot on the news desk that uh, I was taking is held up somewhere with a stripper after being sent off on assignment. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's not exactly necessarily the um, the way that, that uh, I would have thought I was going to start a career, but hell, that's what it was. Um, yeah, apparently his, his wife sent a, a private detective out after, um, and you know, she was kind of wondering where the father of her children was. Um, so yeah, so that was an interesting one. Um, that was a crazy time. Um, so it was, a, it was twice weekly at that point, dear lord. And uh, actually, the licensee of Morning Advertiser, or MA as it's now known, Morning Advertiser, um, is uh, actually the second oldest paper in the country. So, yeah, that was a fun few years. Um, it was then taken over by a company called William Reed. Um, a new editor was installed who um, I did not get on with. Um, or he seemed very determined not to get on with me, was more to the point. Um, and, yeah, I kind of was drummed out, really. Uh, and uh, and I went and jumped the fence to PR for a while, realised I hated being nice to people for a living, didn't last very long there. Um, but it was good money while it lasted. And uh, and then I, I really realised I, I just wanted to write about beer. I'd fallen in love with beer. I was, I'd been doing um, judgings of competitions and realising that, frankly, I had a better palate than 99.9% .9 of the people in the room. And but was patronised a lot as well and taken the piss out of and had misogyny and sexism and God knows what else thrown at me. Um, and like a lot of my career is just that I got pissed about it. And when I got pissed about it, it meant I was going to do something about it. And I thought, you know what? No wonder I'm getting all this crap because I'm one of the very few women in the room and there is not one single full-time woman beer writer in the UK. So 
There you go. Who, so who were the were there? Like there's there's not a name that kind of comes up for me because obviously that was quite a bit before my time when I got yeah. into beer and such. Um, who were the sort of women in beer at that time? Oh, uh, there's you know people like Christine Krein, who's always been very active in camera. Um, Sue Novak. Uh, who'd written a book about an early book about cooking with beer, which has still got some food, you know, still worth looking out. You can find it. It's got some cracking recipes in it. Um, and, and, and sort of, you know, I had a, a magnificent um, news editor um, on, on uh, the MA, um, Sally Bairstow, um, who was phenomenal and really supportive of me and tried her best to run interference um, and just, you know, wonderful um but there weren't there weren't and there were very much women in pub industry but there weren't sort of women standing up in beer and that sort of and and certainly not in that writing space and not on a permanent basis and not on not in a way that would be um challenging to the existing um patriarchy so that was something that was that um sort of I, I guess I mean I, I say this now in 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 retrospect but I didn't I, I didn't I didn't set out to really change things the way that I feel that perhaps I have but I certainly set out to change things for me initially I set out to shove it to people um and to prove that actually all of their oh, don't worry your pretty little head about things, was very much not going to fly. And I think, you know, there's been awful instances along the way that that sort of reaffirmed that. And sometimes I felt very, very helpless, and I hate that. And that really sort of put me on a path of, right, fuck this shit, let's change it. Absolutely, because you have to build it as well, isn't it? build it others will come to it as well exactly the, the 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 saying if you can't see you can't be has been absolutely vital and i know that if there's one difference i've made in this industry it's that i've been visible and that has empowered other women to come forward and also being vocal about diversity in general um i have had people tell me I'm not going to be so arrogant because it's not my lived experience as to say it's it's really carved a path. But I know that that people from um, diverse backgrounds, whether that's people of colour or whether that's um, people from the LGBTQ community, have said that they felt brave enough to stand up and speak out at times because they know that I'll have their back. And if that's if that's the if that's what what I've done, then thanks thanks very much. That's I'm I'm good here. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of people that aren't covered by mainstream beer writing, or at least the output of it as well. It's always been a white male sort of, and I say this as as a white guy. Yeah. As well, you know, this you know, I'm not just starting a podcast just for the sake of starting a beer podcast. You know, it's you know, it's it's a widget in a way. It's it's an extra mm. part of the business. It's, but with that, I'm trying to think how to word this one. It's. No, I don't. I think you're right. You know, in a lot of ways, you wouldn't see someone like Claire Bullen being an absolute 
goddess at what she does if it wasn't mm-hmm. for and it's not and like you say you didn't intend on it it's just that you were just like no i'm not happy with this i'm going to make something better of it yeah. and and at the end of the day it's, it's then also up to other people to to um take that space it's why for example with a lot of the stuff that's been going on um recently is that whilst i've been here i've been talking so much to people in the background i've been offering as much support as i can the problem is is that it's very easy when you get to a certain level of um notoriety and um and i guess respect in the industry um or fear (laughs) i feel like i've had to do far too much of this through fear which is sad really um the the actually it can become very centered around you and it's very easy to get carried away with 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 having that power because it is power but it makes you know better if you use that in a way that doesn't better other people and and you've got to understand the time that you need to step aside and shut up and let other people talk about their stories their experiences their fights and just and and just in, and just use your platform to elevate them. And I think that there's quite a few people who are um, who make that mistake and they centre it around themselves. And I think that's unfortunate. And I think you know if I could talk to people directly a bit more about about that, as I say, it's really really important to understand when the story's about you and your experiences, and when you need to just merely be a conduit. Because if you centre yourself, then you're absolutely being no better than whether it's the sexists or the racists or the homophobes that you're fighting against. Mm. And that's a lot of why I've kept myself to the sidelines, just watching it. Because, you know, it's not my experience, to, and it's not, it's not my lived experience. Yeah, but you're a great ally, so that, that, and those are the things that in you, in you amplify, and those things are incredibly important. I'm sure that there's a, there's a bunch of people out there who are just going, oh, it just it's their virtue signalling. It's like, I tell you, I tell you what, pal. It's better. It's better than you with your with your flag in your profile. So. <laughs> oh, hang on. I've, I've been meaning to add that to the profile picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could, I could never, I could never. And of course, this is. It's been. I don't want to call it a dark time in craft beer because, once again, that feels like that's centering it around me. But there's been a huge shakeout in the past six months that. I'm really hoping it takes hold that something we can build something better across the industry, whether it's from from the brewery to from the suppliers to the brewery, all yeah, through to the end consumer, you know. Yeah, I mean, from from the protection that sales staff need all the way through to people in the brew house and and beyond, all of this stuff needs to be done, and I have to say I'm looking I'm I'm hopeful um I'm not saying that it's fixed I'm not saying that it's okay the way that it's been handled but I'm hopeful when I'm seeing the enormous moves that companies like McKellar are making to try and get the future right it has been has been good they, um, but it's just the problem is, is that you just look at it and just go how did you let it get here you know I spent the morning 
furiously doing things whilst listening to um, Azim Rafiq and the um, select committee on the racism issues at, at Yorkshire. And you're just sitting there just going, how did you, it, I mean, just on a, on a business level, on a reputation management level, it's like, how did you let this get here? And I look at I look at fear and I realise actually it's just that it's because it doesn't matter if you're a multi-million pound company that's global. The problem is, is that your foundation is based in amateurism and arrogance and a cult. And that is always going to be deeply, deeply problematic because you've got no checks and balances because people don't dare challenge you because they fear the power you wield and if you aren't cognizant of that then you have got such a problem and that's yeah you look at you look at the sort of antithesis of that and you look at people like Mark Tranter for example I mean Mark Tranter could be an absolute rock star brewer if he wanted to but Mark Tranter just wants to do his his, his farmhouse brewing and his and his and his clean beer brewing in the way that he wants to do it, he wants to grow organically. You look at Evan at the Colonel. Evan could be a rock star brewer if he so wanted, and so on and so on. And so on. there's so many examples that you could use, but they don't want to centre it around themselves, and they speak by their actions and their beers. And I think that that you know that's whilst I think there's space for both. I think the problem is is that the, the former definitely needs people who have got who will check and balance them as opposed to being some sort of messianic figure. Mm-hmm. Which, it's, you've just described Brewdog pretty much all over there. That's, that's been their kind of MO, is the cult of personality. Is... I think um, my, my, general, my general feeling on Brewdog is that I'm relatively, well, I have been for a long time now. I'm done with giving them the oxygen of publicity, and frankly, I'm disgusted at the way that they've handled I'm disgusted, but not surprised. I, I'm wearily accepting that I expected no better of them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, of course, and thinking about, you, I kind of, you know, not that I totally want to pivot, pivot this away, but certainly looking back at, looking at Evan at the Colonel and Mark at Bernsky, you know, there was a point where they were kind of treated like rock stars, but they never lived up to it. They never, they never played up to the audience for that at all. Not that I ever, that I ever saw anyway. I mean, Evan no, that's... <laughs> Sure, I'm not convinced Evan doesn't live in a stone cave in Wales and just pops down to the brewery every now and again. And sort of, just kind of turns up in sort of monkish robes and stuff. He is a druid, I think. I think Evan is definitely potentially a druid. I've always said Evan could potentially be a druid. Um, but no, I, but I love the man. And and yeah, you, you you look at you look at that, and and then you look at people who are just so immensely talented and who are standing up as well people like charlotte cook who's just got a distinction on her msc and i couldn't be happier for her yep. um and uh, and you know just absolute freaking polymath of a woman and and you know and, and and you get people like lily again another another polymath it's like you know phenomenal artist phenomenal phenomenal advocate phenomenal you know human being makes me laugh and howl and uh, and just uh, and you know doing such great things with queer brewing and i just think you know that's 
phenomenal. You know, I'm I'm just so excited to see this space being occupied by by different people and from a very selfish point of view, not feeling quite so alone. <laughs> so that's definitely that was this was a question I had a little further down. That that entire bit was much planned much later in the podcast here. I'm glad we got it out of the way now. Um another thing that it was very important to cover as well yeah when you were when you were getting your first sort of time your time in with what became the morning advertiser there what mm. was the state of beer at the time because it's a, it's a time period that feels a little lost that is kind of mostly you kind of have to dig through camera archives and it's de- jackson beer writing bit to yeah what was going on honestly it's deja vu all over again um Literally, as I as I joined the MA um, or the LMA, um, it was um, very similar in a way to what's happening now. So, um, some of the first big stories that I worked on with um, somebody who was very much my mentor, a guy called Mike Bennett, um, who was an astonishingly well connected and fantastic journalist. Um, he broke the story that Interbrew, then Interbrew, now AB InBev, was going to purchase Whitbread. And Whitbread was going to hive off the brewing arm to Interbrew and go entirely as a retail company. And that was a shocker. I mean, like a real, what? And then shortly after that, they swooped on Bass as well. and. It was just, it was, I mean, that one really, the whole newsroom stopped because they were one of three pillars of the vertically integrated pub and brewing system in the UK at the time. So the three pillars were Scottish and Newcastle um, and uh, Whitbread and Bath. So they owned between them, God, I'm going to say something like 65% of the pubs in the UK or something ridiculous like that. Um, the um, monopolies and mergers as it was then competition commission now got involved and said no you can't have all those brands that's too much and you have to sell off some of them and uh, um, I think god trying to remember I think it might have been SAB Miller came in for some Molson Coors came in for some Carlsberg came in for some uh, oh no, sorry, Carlsberg Heineken uh, came in to co-buy um, Scottish Newcastle, yep. um, and it just like within the space of three years, the whole landscape just changed, and it feels very much like that now. Um, you know, you've got again, you've got this big sort of groundswell of of inverted commas craft, and you've got suddenly these massive acquisitions by these huge companies which are shaking people to their core um and and it's just really interesting but and that's just in the space of 20 odd years so whole period when heineken and abn were buying up breweries left right and center both uh, here and abroad yeah you, almost, you barely went a month it felt like without or at least a season without something big setting off the howler monkeys of twitter yeah yeah it's, it's well and and of course the latest one being bells 
Mm-hmm. Um, they don't carry the cultural capital here as such, but Bell's is an absolutely legendary brewery of the very earliest craft beer in America. Yeah. And, well, Larry Bell is definitely no spring chicken in his own right. Mm-hmm. That guy's been plugging away for, what, 40 years? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the guy deserves a break in a fashion, but, you know, it's whether, you know, we always have to say, well, we'll see how this plays out over time, but, you know, what we've seen from the Kirin Lion bias, you know, it feels like... Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's weird because it seems to be, it seems to be trucking along fine in the US. And there's, and, and it just, but, but the problem is, is that there's this, like, in, and they just seem to be cocking up here so badly. Um, and I'm, I'm, I just don't really know what's going on. I, you, I feel like they've, they've attempted to emulate the ABI disruptor model, which actually didn't work, um, and did just royally piss people off, and also costs them an awful lot of really good staff um, who promptly went out and fostered a lot of other independent brands and have done very, very well for them. And I think that, that you know, I think what what does worry me, though, is that what a lot of these big monolithic businesses do is that they buy up heritage brands and they rot. I mean, we've seen it a hundred times here, you know, when you get, when you look back into the big six and what became that three pillars there, that's a, mo- a monumental amount of history bundled up and just swept, swept away with, with no yeah. more than an accountant's tick. You know, yeah. When we look at the work that Ron Patton and uh, Martin Connell are doing, yeah. in, you know, plugging away in the archives, you know, mm. dusty, getting real dusty with the boots. It's, yeah. Well, I think it's very uh, easy for a brand just to disappear overnight. Well, one of the most disgusting things that ever happened for me was that the enormous Whitbread archive was just skip was was effectively just skipped. There were literally people dumpster diving to save that stuff. The archivist, there was a guy called Nick. He was literally the archivist at Whitbread, and I, I, the man was a shell. It was just awful to watch. He was just devastated. His life's work was literally just being put in a Putting a skip. There's only so much you can do. Cause, I mean, it was enormous. And so like, you give it to the British Library at least, you absolute cultural vandals. And yeah, so so I mean, that stuff like that worries me. So I've been sort of chasing down what the hell's been going on with Worthington White Shield because that's disappeared off the face of the earth. Seems to exist. I think I've seen bottles about of it, but it's very much not the beer that it made its name off being. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I can't get a straight answer out of them. They won't, they won't give me anything other than a, a company line and a PR line. And I have to go through the agency, and that pisses me off. Um, so, yeah, I, I keep on, keep on knocking on that one. But you know, we, we kissed goodbye to Draft Boddingtons. I mean, Bods was a beer that I cut my teeth on. Well, no, one of the beers I cut my teeth on. Uh, better version was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that and that changed. Um, and um, so after I sort of discovered uh, Rooster's Cream and Callum Island Pale Rider, um, and then sort of, and I was working in a Bod's house, um, and 
or it was a form of odd tails, but it may as well still have been a bod tails. They were still having 36s rolled into the cellar like nobody's business. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just, it just makes me so angry because this is our national drink. Nobody in Bordeaux would allow this shit to happen. Nobody, nobody in Jerez would allow this to happen. Yeah, here we are just blithely allowing so much of our of our national cultural heritage just be poured down the drain. Yep, and, and of course, you know, you want to touch on the the thirty sixes in the pub sort of thing. That's once again, that's another thing before my time. That must have been absolutely fascinating to watch. Just a full thirty six gallon cask be rolled about the place. Oh, they used to spin it. Oh, so I only because I've heard this. It's kind of there's a trick to kind of get in it. Yeah, people, well, it's, you know, it's it's a visual, obviously a visual medium. People can, can yeah. get it at sort of a like the coke can angle where you can sit it upright and just sort. Yeah, yeah. All they all they had to do is get the liquid going, and then they could just do it with the with the heel of their hand. I only ever saw it a couple of times because uh, uh, health and safety, quite rightly, um, said I don't think you should be I don't think you should be uh, chucking those about the place, lads. And I imagine that that you know draymen of that era and they all have got no discs left in their back. Oh, and uh, and a lot of the licensees, because a lot of them didn't even have um, stillage, you know, there was like four people lifting these damn things up. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, that really these are things that, that that you can't really kind of put your head to now when you're sort of lifting up a 20 litre tea keg. It's not it's not the same. And, and yeah, I mean, obviously, I also worry desperately about the future of cask um, and also the future of independent cask breweries because their spaces are being whittled away and there's a toothless, um, very, very toothless um, overseer of all of the leased and, and um, tenanted pubs. And, yeah, it just it's just not... It just feels like there's, we're at a really, really dangerous time for a lot of our national beer heritage, and we've got to cherish it a lot more. Yeah. Mind you, I'm ex- terribly excited to see that a bunch of people are producing cask milds for this winter. <laughs> I, I couldn't be happier about that. I feel like I've talked recently about Nouveau Traditional, this whole mm. modern breweries doing going back on styles, whether they do it right or not is another question, but you know. Yeah. There's been a real uptick in, like, say, milds and English bitters and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, the Scotch ale's always kind of hung on because everybody loves to go, oh, look how sweet it is. Look, 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 it's really strong. But there isn't really that sort of same, because I think as well, there is a real hollowing out of the quality of of these, you know, broad, you know, a broad uh, sort of hollowing out of these legacy brands that were yeah. great bitters and stuff. I mean, Fuller's hung on for so long being... London Pride being London Pride and ESB being ESB. This is mm. this is the beer that sets set up a chain of events in the US. It's yeah. When it's not like we have the same Bobinsons is not the beer we made its name on. You know, it's now we have you know I'm I'm hoping Mark Johnson listens to this because I know how much he loves to hear that Boxcar Brewery invented mild beer. Um, and he, I'm sorry, what? Oh. Mark's been on about this before. He he really doesn't get he doesn't he is because the boxcar did their mild, which is delicious. Yep, absolutely. 
but everybody kind of went raving mad over it, and I think that's what caught him a little more. He he always zigs when everybody zags. <laughs> that's Mark, yeah. Um, so he, so I think it was on a fairly recent when he was last on Beer Talk Show, he really made his point about not liking people going, "Oh, Boxcar invented mild again." <laughs> you know, there was a there was a little bit of that, and I I love Mark dearly, um, but he's always lived in this. I, I think I I I I I I I both both by turns just to, I, I don't agree with Mark in any way shape or form and there are times when his wonderfully contrarian view just makes me fall off my chair laughing, um but I also I, I like the guy and I admire him and I I had to give him a massive shout out the other evening when he we when I was doing the um virtual independent Salford beer festival and he had bought the pack but he had got the terrible cold that's been going round. And I had it and it absolutely wiped me out for five days, but he still signed in and there he was in the dark. It was almost like he was in black and white and he was tucked up in bed and he fell asleep for a little snooze at one point during the taste. And he was just drinking water, but he was there. He was there. A big shout out to him for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's look, I think it can be, it can be a bit. It can be a bit like, you know, sort of Instagrammers just going, "Oh my God, you've got to try this one cool thing." And it's like, is it put beer in the fridge? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's one cool thing you could do. Just gonna say, um, and it's just, yeah, it 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 becomes it it feels patronising to to kind of have that that said and you're looking at things but then again it's also a bit like you know when people who are 20 years young when, when I'm sure that lots of people feel that you know why the hell are you telling me about Pink Floyd or you know why are you telling me about Frank Zappa and you know oh congratulations you've discovered the stones it, 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 it can be that kind of little bit of don't be your parents you know don't don't be don't be that don't become that person as well. Um, I I try I try very hard not to shit on enthusiasm. It's hard sometimes, <laughs> and I'm not saying I always shit. I'm just gonna be slightly glib and flippant about it. You know, everybody's parents that are into craft beer now is into double is into juicy double hop double dry hopped IPAs. So it's, it's almost cyclical. Everybody loves everybody loves a dimple dimple pint mug now. They wouldn't have dreamed about that five years ago, but now, yeah, why not? Absolutely. We'll do no, that. I've always so I'm I'm gonna stand by the fact I've always hated the fucking thing. Um <laughs> Go on, go on, I, Mr. I, I have you here. I don't want to drink out of something that I feel like I have to become some sort of python to actually wrap my mouth through. They're so thick and inelegant and and now I've been talking about beer so much, I'm going to have to go to the fridge and get myself a non-elk beer because I'm still being good. But that's okay because I've got my Bluetooth headphones on so we can carry on chatting. Um, yeah, it just... It's, it's just it's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. See, this is, now this this is, is exactly why I wanted you on because I knew that this was going to lead to me. <laughs> so, I, that, so, I hate them. To jump forward an indeterminate amount of time, what was... Do you... Your first books come out, I can't remember now off the top of my head, I really should have Probably about it. 10 years ago, I think. Right, that sounds about right. What was the process to them coming out? Was it a case of you went pitching them, or did somebody come to you 
Uh, hey, we, we know that you've been doing this for a while and you've had your website, you've had columns and such. Yeah, I um, actually, I've been approached quite a bit and it was to do beer books specifically for women, mm -hmm. which I think probably most people can guess my answer to. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I sort of, I, there are profiles out there where um, I've sort of, I've said very clearly, you know, in the interviews and saying, you know, I don't like to be considered a woman be a writer. Um, I mean, I, I, it's a bit funny, isn't it? You know, I was talking earlier about how I was the first woman be a writer in the in the UK and all that sort of stuff. But I, that was that was in context of the history. I, I I tried really really hard not to play on it. The but the joke about taking the beard out of beer was again about that stuff of you know I'm 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 a different voice I'm a different take but it doesn't make it any less valid was was what I was always trying to get through and there were there were times when I was kind of portrayed as you know the the woman shaking up beer writing and things like that in in a way that was a little bit too batty eyelash and flicky hair for my liking but sometimes you just got to kind of suck that stuff up but but I had three offers which were to write um guides for like books for women they were going to be very cute little cheechy little five pound things that would end up in a in in poundland I'm sure um and uh, I I just didn't want to do that and it was hard it was really hard I mean financially there were times when it was it, it was a cause of you know extreme stress um in my relationship um and but it was just you know my husband's always had faith in me and I've had faith in myself and you just kind of keep on chugging along um I say that like I'm earning sensible money now I really don't um but you know I, it, it uh it, it, but it, it it was it was that thing of that I, I just can't I can't sell out and it's a bit like recently I mean it's been an appalling nearly two years now for lots of people and myself included in terms of work and um and I've had some like ridiculous offers for kind of name your price to pimp things on Instagram and again it's just not something I feel I can do I feel like I've I feel like I've earned the trust of a lot of people and I feel like that old saying, isn't it? You're not just letting yourself down. <laughs> you know, it's like you're letting yourself. It's like you're not just letting me down. You're not let, just letting everybody else down. You're letting yourself down. And I think all of those things would be true. Uh, or maybe I, maybe I just, maybe I just overrate how much people give a shit about my opinion. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're right. I think you're right, though. And that was something that my mind, you know, you said pretty much what I was about to sort of say, but it's worded slightly different. Is that your name being attached to something means something as well. It's not a case of, oh, this person says this. You you have a long history of what you believe. So you have, you can, you, you know, if people want to audit you on that, they go, all right, cool. Well, this is the stuff that she's enjoying, you know, the stuff that she can actually genuinely say, mm. you know, you know, if you want to just look at it as just beer, not just as a whole movement, just like, oh, this, you know, look at what she's genuinely enjoyed, what she's talked about. Mm. You know that 
you can't buy that you can't buy genuine no i mean i don't think yeah i don't think i'd have to take my shoes and socks off to count the amount of brands i've actually physically worked with i'm actually drinking one now i'm i've done quite a bit of work with big drop um but that's because i believe in their product and i believe in them as a company um as well just as as an advert i do have uh one uh big drop gear up on the website at the moment ah what have you got Oh, the um, uh, the uh, begins with a P. Oh my God. Um, yeah, Paria. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yes, yeah, very cool bike shirt. Yeah. Um, yeah. In my defence, I just helped them. Loot. I'm I'm sitting here looking at the Leaf Kicker um uh, beer that I I just did an event with them around, uh, which is the um uh, the one with Square Mile Coffee, which is delicious. It really is. I'm very much enjoying this. And I just love being able to, you know, I could reach into my fridge right now and have everything from a Baltic Porter to a Peach Melba Sour to a Lemon Thyme Saison to God knows what. Um, um, but it's nice to be able to say, no, it's a Tuesday night, I'm not drinking, and but I want something that, that gives me that facsimile of beer in a very pleasing way. And this is you know, this kind of beer being available, and it's not just these guys, obviously, um, or being able to reach for an Adam's Ghost Ship, or you know, or even if it's uh, something like um, Gad's number 11 at only 1.2 or whatever it is, I really wouldn't be concerned about drinking one of those on a, on a well-behaved evening. Um, you know, all of these things being, being available is just such a boon, because you do have a tendency to just, you know, you're talking about beer, you want to drink beer. And if I'm doing a podcast recording on a Tuesday night, I'd rather be able to, you know, make a, make a more sensible choice. Oh, absolutely. And non-alcoholic beer has had such a, a, a uptick in quality over the past, what, three years? Yeah. Un- it's pa- unparalleled yeah. uptick in not just, well, not just, you know, you've always had good non-alcoholic German beer, but they were never brilliant. Never, no, see, I, I could never drink any of them. I could never, I still can't. I still can't. I think it's because I wouldn't, I don't necessarily choose things like um, Vitamins to drink very much in and of themselves anyway. So I think that, yeah, I, I think obviously that's a bit of a drawback. And then when you throw in the fact that the non elks are so much sweeter, mm-hmm. that becomes that becomes extremely problematic for me because I don't have a particularly sweet tooth. Yeah. And so. It's because we finally worked out the science that makes it work as well. Yes. Yeah. Whereas before, a lot of those ones were kind of cooked to alcohol. So that's, that was never good. That was never good. It just... or, or filtered yeah. um, or RO'd um, right, really savagely. And that always left that sort of cardboardy metallic taste for me because they oxidise so quickly and it's just not fun. But anyway, I remember, I remember talking to um, Ed, who used to be at Adnams, about yeah. homemade, uh, not non-alcoholic or low-alcoholic mm. ghost ship, and he did explain it to me. But then I had several beers afterwards, so my memory on how that one's done is a little hazy. Oh, it's reverse osmosis. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember. So. Yeah, but they but they do it in a, they do it in a very gentle way as opposed to you know, really insanely like push it through and they they manage the process so there's ways of doing it that isn't quite so harsh. But yeah. So, 
course, as well, part of the reason I wanted you to have you on was to talk about your current books, because you put out two books in a very, very short space of time as well. Yeah. Um, Little Book of Lager and The Ultimate Guide to Craft Beer. Yeah. Yeah, so Little Book of Lager, bless it, it didn't do so well, very sad, because obviously the the style of book that it is, it relies on, on sort of gift shops and and places like um, uh, Oliver Bonus and um, Anthropology and, and you know, sort of people picking it up as some sort of impulse purchase. And oddly enough, there wasn't a lot of that in the last 18 months. There was a, um, a extreme lack thereof, obviously, due to the pandemic. Um, so there's still plenty of stock around. Um, but, um, but ultimately, craft beer is very much me um, revisiting a lot of the things that I've, I've done and um, updating it and making sure that the science is accurate, um, bringing in, um, not holding back on some of the politics which reason, re- previously I'd held back on. And um, there's a few definite, you can tell that the that, um, that things were breaking. Um, I actually pulled a couple of beers right at the last minute, which my publishers were absolutely phenomenal about doing. And also including a few bits of commentary, which I thought were important and pertinent, um, and particularly referencing that that the erasure of women's and role in beer, and particularly also the contribution of women of colour, um, particularly from the, um, the the continent of Africa, is it, really quite important to talk about, um, and also how it it moved with with slavery as well um and i think that was a, a really important thing to put in it, it wasn't it's not comprehensive it's merely a, a passing editorialization but i just wanted people to stop and have a bit of a think and so yeah it's it's um i'm i'm very pleased to have it and i'm also pleased to have it in a much more um a, a, a quite a bit of the stuff from or uh, quite a lot of the spirit not actually the physical copy from let me tell you about beer um to be revisited for a new generation because um one of the things i'm very very proud of about that book apart from it being my first book baby um is that actually it was a lot of people who are now made their careers and lives in beer um it was kind of their gateway into it so I wanted to write a book very much, again, from the standpoint of you don't need to know anything about beer to to read this book. But if you do, you're also going to find a lot of other stuff in here as well. And as well, it, it draws from, all, you know, it draws from cooking as well. It draws, yep. it draws, it draws from a lot of sources. And mm. even, even I, somebody who is far too, too deep into craft beer at this point, I think there's a few of us there. <laughs> existential dread about craft beer generally um you know even i can find something in it that i enjoy as well mm. you know it's you know i've always got your cookbook kind of sort of sitting nearby whenever I've, you know maybe i don't have the beer to the recipe but certainly the rest of the recipe can also you know make sense as well there's a lot so having that sort of it picks and plucks the best bits and like say updates it really is helpful as well you know thank you beer moves so quickly how do you write a book about hey these beers are good drink these beers now like some beers can barely make it past the end of the month before they're gone again they may be great but how would you ever know because yeah gone. yeah i mean it's impossible for example to include a beer from cloudwater mm-hmm. 
um, I, after not really feeling that, that because the kernel was moving, like just zigging and zagging so much, but they sort of settled into at least doing sort of some regular beers that, that, that I could again include them. And, you know, you, you kind of, you want to, you want to include these amazing breweries, but it's also incredibly difficult to do so because, because you can say, well, that's great, but, you know, I'm going to write about this, this bit, this beer in this book, which is now going to be published, you know, nine months after I finished writing it. And that beer sold out in a week. So here's what you could have won. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah. The true test of it is: is it the good? Is it as good if they brew it again? If it's sold as a case of yeah, like you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rag on Cloudwater excessively here, but if you know, if you looked at the beers that made them famous, like that Ethel V three or whatever, they mm. have revisited it in slightly differently. But if they were to brew that again, would that be the beer that people love? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, people's business models are people's business models, but I am a a strong believer that if you if you put in the work to make your beers, to make absolutely consistent beers over a period of time, then the 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 things that you learn from doing that means that you can do really whatever you want from there. And it allows you to learn an awful lot of the vagaries of your kit. It can allow you to identify potential heffalump traps with slight changes in seasonal ingredients. It can teach you a lot about your yeast. It can make you much more um, detail-oriented about, for example, making sure that you regularly test your water supply or that you insist that your water company gives you regular updates and just so so much that you can do and then you can then you can start saying do you know what I tried a beer from so-and-so the other week and I was talking to them about what yeast strain they use and I think that that is actually going to transform that core beer that we make and then you can talk from a, a, a point of absolute confidence about how you know that people already love this beer but actually, do you know what? You've trusted us on this part of our journey and we've given you this beer consistently. We would like to give you 2.0 consistently and we think this is better. If you all hate it and you want us to go back to the original recipe in six months' time, fine, we give in. You guys are our customers. Not a problem. But you know, you, 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 I think it's a... I think the longevity of trust and consistency and this isn't aimed at any brewery in particular and this is a lot of people's business model and it's up to them what to do but I think the amount of people who can get away with that is very very small and if you are a brewery that is starting up I suggest a couple of things firstly one local 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 get that taproom license do not muck about do not pass go make that a space which is warm and comforting and pleasant and as widely community friendly as it possibly can be be dog friendly places that aren't dog friendly what the hell is wrong with you um 
when, uh, I mean, apart from obvious, you know, extreme phobias, in which case you get a total pass, but other than that, don't. Um, yeah, and just offer something to the community. I was talking to somebody the other day who's starting up and they're saying, oh, you know, we might, we might find it really difficult to sell the idea of a double IPA at X, Y, and Z. And I said, well, why aren't you brewing a trad bitter at 3.8% and pricing it accordingly? So where you are, that's your major market. Mm -hmm. I said, well, but we won't get people in. It's like, well, yeah, you will. That's the point. You will get people in. But more to the point is, you can say to your local community, we're not just another wanky brewery startup who who wants to make these beers that you've never tasted in your life, you've never wanted to taste in your life, and because you've been drinking beer for 40 years, oh my God, you just don't get it, granddad. Do you have any idea what the silver pound is worth in this country? <laughs> yeah, people people say I'm a, I'm a brewery tap. I'm not going to serve gins or wines or why? Are you insane? Have you lived, are you a millionaire? Have you got money to burn? Have you got that idiot Elon Musk backing you? Because because you know, frankly, unless it's no, you're. What are you thinking? And that's very much the that very much was the. Micropub 1.0 model was no gin, no lagers, no music, no fun, just cast beer. And I'm just like, that's well, that's fine if you have idea of fun to me. I, I, you know, I already don't want to be around these type of people in the first place. I've been to some that are like that, that amazing, huge, brilliant amounts of fun. There's some crazy dude in the in the corner with a banjo and yeah. and you know all these sorts of things, and and I love it, and all just an acoustic guitar, and it's been fabulous, and I've loved it. But they've got like standing room for twelve people only, mm. and and you can survive on that business model, if you've taken a a shop front that's been empty for twenty years and all that sort of stuff. But if you're a brewery tap, I think you're failing your customers, and you, and more to the point is that you won't get people into beer. You won't change people's minds. Because everybody that, you know, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people that bring along someone to the back of an industrial, like, industrial estate in God knows whatever sort of mm. suburb, not everybody who's been brought along likes beer, you know. I I would drink, dread to bring my girlfriend to some of these places and make her drink beer when she likes a gin and tonic. Yeah. Or a glass um, of wine or something. But if you say if you say to somebody absolutely, there's your gin and tonic, not a problem at all. Da, 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 da. By the way, we've actually got a gin and tonic saison, and we've got a gin and tonic, we've got a gin and tonic Berliner Weiss here. I'm just going to pop that little sample on the side there for you. Absolutely no requirement for you to drink it. I just thought you might like to try it, and you go away and you leave them alone. Yep. And then when they come back up for their gin and tonic, they say, "Did you?" Like it? No, hate it? Ah, oh, damn it. Oh, never mind. We tried. But the point is, is that you've done your job. You've been hospitable. Right. And that's what people lose themselves in this evangelism of beer, mm. is that actually you're also part of the hospitality industry. Act that's like it. actually just what I was about to say, is I think a lot <laughs> of brewery taps forget that they're ostensibly a pub in a light industrial unit. Mm. 
and for God's sake get comfortable fucking furniture and heating. Well, I will, you know, I didn't want to make this a podcast that shouts everybody out as such, but certainly cross-borders down in S-Bank are very good at that. They have an electric spirit gin on the back bar and they've got pizza. I can't remember what soft drinks they have, sorry, at this point in, sorry, wine, but they def- I definitely remember that being there, you know, like Edinburgh area made gin is, and you go, all right, cool, here's a gin and tonic, here it is with the gin and here's it with the local tonic, you're not. In fairness, I think, jo- yeah, Johnny and I probably sat down and had this conversation, God knows how many times, it's probably why, you know, he's a guy who understands hospitality. And, because it's, it's throwing money away. Essentially, yeah, you're going, oh, cool, I have to buy a bottle of gin, I have to buy this, that, and the other thing. But I'm like, yeah, but that's what margins are for. Or that's yeah. yeah. Here's a magic thing called a spreadsheet. And and here's a thing called gross profit or cash margins, depending on which way you'd like to work on it. Just a thought. Maybe ask your pal who runs a pub or somebody else. Just say, look, I'll swap you a keg of beer if you can tell me how this shit works. <laughs> One of your customers, for God's sake. It, hospitality is hard. Running a pub is hard. You've got to be. You've got to be a therapist. You've got to be an HR department. You've got to be an accountant. You've got to be a plumber. You've got to be an electrician. You've got to be a priest. You've got to be a bouncer. I mean, Jesus. I mean, you've got to have more more hats than the Queen. I was going to go with Mr. Ben on that one, actually. I, I was already feeling like I was making old references as it was. I was, I was trying to, I was trying to wear away from from Mr. Ben. But yeah, Mr. Ben. Yeah, definitely. Looking back at my my years working in Ember bars, very much that has been a lot of my experience as well. And that's just me as a duty supervisor or just general bar staff. That's without me even taking on the role of management as such. Yeah. You know, I'm not the one putting in the orders. I'm not the one taking care of business as such mm. and they're serving the drink yeah and I think I... as well a lot of I feel so sort of disconnected from some of the maelstrom sometimes and so I don't get to see a lot of these brewery tap rooms that don't have a gin or don't have a, at least a red and a white mm. and it's not like we're you know we're, we're, going, we're here going oh you need a Michelin star wine list like talk to a sommelier we're saying have a decent wine, have a decent white, have a decent red, at least, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. And I'm amazed that more brewers don't live by the, you win more, you t- you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Exactly. Exactly. That's the, that's the key, isn't it? It's like, you get, you just you know, make people feel welcome and they will come back. And more to the point is, they will bring their friends. Yeah. <laughs> You can only be the key decision maker so many times before somebody says, "Oh, come on, dude, seriously, that place is shit. I hate it. I want to go. I want to go and drink a, a glass of red and have some, you know, have have good quality snacks or have shit snacks. You know, play into nostalgia, but don't have those fishy hell snacks. I'm sorry, but scampi fries are just a no. <laughs> um, I'm livid. I'm actually livid at that suggestion. I love scampi fries. Fishy, fishy, fishy hell snacks. And you're not somebody that dislikes fish either. You, nope. You do like fish. I do. Which, and um, that's why I say fishy hell snacks, because they taste nothing like fish. They yeah, taste like, they taste, they taste like what a bad fishmonger smells like. 
and it's there's there's an immaturity to the <laughs> the movie <laughs> tap room model here in the UK. You go to the US, and short of some weird old timey black and white era sepia toned legalized, you will find a decent bar back bar at every brewery tap room yeah. you go to. You will yeah. find. In fact, they might actually have have a decent wine program on top of that, and they'll usually have. A couple of local spirits and some soft drinks as well. Go I am. I am going to say. I'm going to say that that there's been some. I've been to some. You know, but but then again, I've been going to the states for for twelve, thirteen years now. So for for beer things, and I'm going to say that there were some really rough ass tap rooms. And also, I think oh, we we have to we have to remember the fact that they're also blessed with geography that we just don't have, yeah. um, and. Um, and a general willingness of people to drink drive. Um, but, you know, <laughs> sure, we'll horrifying. That one. Um, and, and I think that, that uh, you know, uh, but I just don't feel like it costs an awful lot to stick up some plyboard bonquettes with some cheap foam and, and use a staple gun to upholster them with some with a with a curtain bought from a from a charity shop i mean come on it's really not difficult did nobody watch changing rooms um mm, i'm not going to reveal that information i'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> I, it's uh, i i i still i still every so often go back and watch the teapot incident um but uh yes yeah oh. if, right if if if, no, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the changing rooms teapot incident please google it um so yeah i think that 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 it, there's a there's an element of people who are just trying to attract the same sort of people mm-hmm. and unfortunately that's kind of got us into the mess that we're in right now so, so maybe, maybe don't contribute to that yeah and that almost works if you're if you have a big enough population base in a very short distance to make that work for you but that doesn't work if you're a train ride away that doesn't work if you have to actively seek a bus and then crawl through some hedges and you know pass a couple of really dodgy looking burger vans to get to a brewery in the first place yeah exactly you have to have a very dedicated customer base to do that and i just you know that that that's diminishing returns once once your population just drops yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, so. For example, I was um, chatting to um, uh, Vinny at Moonwake, and um, he was just so utterly blown away by the fact that that they reckon that sort of eighty five percent of their custom comes from within like a mile and a half, mm-hmm. and and that's if you don't make that custom base welcome. Then the minute somebody else opens up, I mean, obviously Leith is kind of kind of quite well saturated with breweries anyway. But if you don't if you don't make that experience good, then they they've got options, mm-hmm. you know, and and in reality, a lot of places do. Yeah, and they've and as well with Moonwake, who are I can't remember what street that that comes under, but it's the water of Leith, Leith Docks. Mm. You aren't exactly short of pubs in the area either, because mm. once again, a tap room is broadly a pub in a different uniform you know it's you have the molten hops very nearby you have the dreadnought that's not a ridiculous frothy fruity loss and leaf which is mm. you know that's not really a pub as such that's a bar but it's camper vans bar as well yeah and, that, and you have the old island 
I could I could probably go on for for several minutes here, just rattling off hubs in the air. Yeah. So you aren't unique as well. Somebody like that isn't unique, sadly. Um, and you know, if you look at something like the Piccadilly Mile and the Bermondsey Mile, then once again, you're not unique. If somebody yeah. doesn't find the one something like I know, I'm not saying that every brewery tap room that's you know 200 feet away from another 200 brewery tap room needs to be identical but if somebody can't find a gin and tonic for somebody that doesn't drink beer but you know go back to that or or a rum or something or rum and coke yeah then they'll move on very quickly to the next one that does and it's yeah exactly like, what is you know a couple of bottles of spirits a bag of ice and some tonics and some soft drinks in the grand scheme of things in terms of costs yep it's yeah anyway 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 <laughs> We could, we could, rat, we could, we could, we could, just rattling on about this. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to ask you about collabs because you know you've done quite a few in your time. I have. Um, and what was what was the first one? Because once again, this is one of these bits of information I should really should have had sort of hanging around, but I just don't. I, in in fairness, I, 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 it's not really something that uh, I and it's 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 lost in the mists of history. Um, uh, actually, I, I get to. I get to be a bit showy offy here. My first ever collaboration was with Thornbridge. Ooh. No, no. Um, was, was that the Hall kit or were you? Uh, yes, it was the Hall kit. It was the little tiny weeny kit in the, at the Hall. Um, so yes, so um, I mean, I, I I I managed to still make an ass of myself at, at doing it, but um, so sort of going back to obviously what I was speaking about earlier. There were there were times when I was sort of a bit. Um, conscious and and said sort of very much didn't want people to think of me as the girl and uh, so when I was doing this brew I'd, I'd, I'd done my first judging in the US and I was just like oh shit I've got a lot to learn and um, yeah just having a good palate just wasn't enough um, and well for me anyway I just I, I, I if I do something I don't want to do it half-assed and um Apart from tidying up, as my husband frequently points out, um, and uh, and <laughs> this is another thing we could go down on, down the route. Yeah, I look around. I frequently banish myself. To... Yeah, I frequently get called half job coal. Um, so um, so I came back and I wanted to do this, and uh, Stefano Costi was the uh, head brewer at uh, Thornbridge at the time, and I but I brewed I did the brew day with a guy called Matt. And um, Matt, great big man, mountain of a fella, lovely guy. And he, uh, we were brewing and he was like, right, it's time to mash out. And I was like, right, I'm ready, let's go. And I had to climb up a stepladder to then throw my leg over the top of the mash tun to grab a pipe and he said grab that pipe and then scream no not that one that's the hot one I was like oh my god I had to grab a pipe and then I had to kind of swing myself around and I had to lower myself in and I'm sure that Thornbridge isn't doing this anymore in any way shape or form and I'm sorry if I'm lagging the minute slightly um and then drop down into the mash which was incredibly frightening the first time you do it because you just sink and you know, I, I I think everybody of my age remembers that the uh awful adverts for quicksand it's like we were all convinced that we were going to die by quicksand which, which um 
was it was which one was the quicksand one? Was that the one where I, death appears in the background, or was that quar- swimming in quarries? I think that might be swimming in quarries. <laughs> but anyway, I was sort of just, sort of sort of early early eighties. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember whether it was 70s or because I was, I was born in 75, so I doubt it was 70, 70. I think it's early 80s. Um, there, there is a crossover, but I don't think they yeah. sort of one-and-done shots. And, and that's like, terrifying thing. Anyway, so so obviously it's a bit unnerving. And then this great big shovel came over. And he said, you just need to... He said, I'm going to open the manway now. And so he opens the manway, and, and he pulls some of the malt out, and I can just see the manway. And I can see what I think is a bag covering the manway. And says, right, off you go. And so I'm determined not to not to be, you know, the wimpy girl. And I start shoveling this spent grain at a furious rate into what I believe is the bag, which is what I believe is entirely covering the manway. And because I'm just sort of, oh, and I suddenly realise that there's a stop, 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 stop. And I just about managed to pull my, my sort of nose up and over the, the mash tun, a bit like a nosy bonk, and um, to see Matt in absolutely pure comedy fashion, just with like windscreen wiper hands clearing malt off of his glasses. And he's just covered. And I've just hit this guy in the face with three, four shovels full of scalding hot malt. And I'm obviously in a bit of a trapped space and I don't really know Matt and he's quite a big fella and I don't really know how he's going to react. And he went, maybe we could get it in the bag, not on the mat. And I just absolutely wet myself. Anyway, I bought him multiple beers that evening and, and, and subsequently. Um, I'm not even sure whether he's in beer anymore. I don't know where he's at. Um, so anyway, so lovely, lovely human. Um, and uh, so yeah, so that was a that was a really um, great learning curve, and I just went on from there. And I I got I I, I don't think I've added my elusive one to the list. I shall have to just I'm just going to consult my phone. I have this horrible feeling that I've I've actually forgotten some as well, which is very rude. Um, is and there, uh, is there anything you look for, you know, when you when you want to collab? suggestion comes up is there anything that you specifically look to get out of it you know whether that be like with the googly eyes ipl that was yeah you know that was a lot of english malt uh, sorry english hops it was all english hops it was all english hops yes mm. and very well done as well very accomplished and thank you also have andy parker there you know our lord and savior himself um, oh my god you've never seen anything so funny as me and andy basically standing there twisting our feet looking at each other going so do you want to collab then? Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've we've been we've been planning that for a while. Um, God knows how many years actually. So at least it has been turned five. I think was it was it they turned five? Uh, yeah, just, yeah, just ticked over the five mark, which is yeah. scary because I remember there what must have been one of their first tap takeovers in Leeds at Northern Monk Refectory when yeah. the night the night before uh, Indie Man kicked off one that year. Wow. So yes, yeah, so I'm 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 up in the I'm up in the high fifties, early sixties. I think I've I've missed a couple here. Um, 
so yeah, so I've done. So uh, what what do I get out of them? I mean, I I get out of them. Um, I learn. So what do you get out of them? But what do you look yeah. for when you go? What do I look for? Because you've done a very variety, you know, a very variable range of them as well. It's not like you're you're coming in and it's this one thing. There's Such always, there's always, always been a personal um, relationship there, in some way, shape, or form. Um, there's been a couple that have been less personal, um, which I definitely wouldn't like to uh, revisit as a concept. Um, I don't like doing champagne brew days. I don't like doing the whole just turn up and and sprinkle a few hops into the into the kettle. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff I don't. I don't. I just don't see any benefit. Um, plus, also, why wouldn't I want to do a brew day? I get a workout and I get an amazing, like, steamed facial at the same time. So you know, it's it's all good. Um, and you know, I, I earn the I earn the vast amount of pies and and chips and and God knows what else that the brewer, brewers use as a, as a, use me as a massive excuse to get in for the day. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm never fed so I, I never fed so well as when I go to a brewery and everybody goes, "We can get really good stuff because you're here today." It's like, do you mean really shit stuff? It's like, yes, we go to the chippy, um, and uh, so yeah, which is always grand. Um, and uh, yeah, I I I really like um, I really like giving back to breweries as well when I'm doing collabs. So um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, I'm I'm a big um, fan of cooking. Um, and a big fan of of understanding how flavour works and particularly how spicing works in in beers. Um, and I know that as a result of having done a lot of different collabs with a lot of different breweries, that I've got whatever kind of weird touch that is um, for doing stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a lot of the collaborations that I've done with breweries um have actually led to them then going on and doing later beers with seasonings and and spices that are based on a lot of the stuff that we talked about on the day or how we did it where we added it maybe how we treated it before we before we used it in the brew um and I'm regularly in contact with quite a lot of breweries that I have brewed with you're just like listen can I just quickly pick your brains because we're going to do this spice thing and da, 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 da. so that's really nice and I, and that's a little bit of giving back to the industry which has given me my job um and um the the life that I love and and a way to um help people with something that I appear to be good at and have a have a certain touch for and, and I'm really happy to share that information do you think writing these books about beer that beer you know especially these cooking books where, it's all, where beer almost feels like a secondary part of it gives you gives you that that sort of insight you know that insight because otherwise you know adding something like cinnamon might be you know to many other brewers and other collaborations might just be this wild addition whereas you kind of look at it more yeah more I don't want to say savory that's that's not a word but you kind of have to but do you feel like you have this noose this sort of insight this yeah I think because I because I cook so much and because I have an understanding of how um spices work and and how they how they need to be treated um and whether they whether they have um whether they have to be alcohol soluble or water soluble um where they can where actually their volatiles can dissipate off in in the heat and things like that. Um, 
almost a there's a fantastic book oh goodness i've forgotten the name of it um oh why can't i see it on my bookshelf right now of course i can't that's very aggravating um it's called the science of spice or something like that um which has been hugely helpful to me um but it's also about the application of it um and how that actually comes to bear within beer as well so it's not just touch it's also knowledge um and and research and things like that and i i probably should talk about that more because i think people quite frequently think that i've just sort of lucked into all of this but actually it's been quite a lot of hard work as i sit here looking at on my on my bookshelf the very well thumbed copies of malt hops yeast water the new ipa and god knows what else as well so you know it's it's, it's not you you don't you don't just pick this stuff up by osmosis some trial with it and there's a lot less space to be sort of trialing and and you know getting things wrong when it's when it comes to brewing as well especially with yeah. with spices you don't have you don't necessarily have that time to sit around and you know work out how much you know like say going back to cinnamon that's quite not that's quite a you know common adjunct that you don't have a lot of time sitting around going maybe we should have it here and then and yeah and also, for, I think, yeah, I think people forget that the a lot like hops, actually, quite frequently, the best results are a blend. Okay. So it doesn't necessarily have to just be cinnamon. It can be cinnamon and orange, yeah. natural bark chips. I but people... It's just a, just a random one off the top of my head there. It's not like that. So... No, and, and actually, uh, I think a lot of people in brewing shouldn't be using the sweet cinnamon. They should be using um, the cassia. Yeah. Um, so, or what's known as sort of very colonially as uh, salon cinnamon. Mm-hmm. And you know, thinking about how adjuncts into beer sort of work, going to slip ever so subtly into beer matches as well. You know, because mm-hmm. I've been wanting to call you out on this for a little while because I just <laughs> really said this, and I think you know what's coming here, don't you? What's that? It's your fish and chips beer t- pairing. Oh, fuck that, cup of tea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's so wild to me. I can't get my head around the idea of it. it I don't know if it's just because it's my, how I have a cup of tea that it just feels like a really bizarre sort of concept. It's like, all right, cool. I mean, I'm a milk and one sugar guy, but it's... Just yeah, like, I, do, I, 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 I have... I have um, a good cup of tea should be the colour of tea now. I don't have sugar which, in my tea anymore. Version, just, just so people are aware, which version of the He-Man? The cartoons or the cartoon? Alright, cool. Yeah, yeah. I actually so have I've a... just been realizing I just missed, missed that, mixed that one up with Red Sonia. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is which is yeah. a, which is the off-brand version, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Um, <laughs> and um, but no, I, I, I just, I, I do not, I, I don't want. Booze with fish and chips. It's a cup of tea. Cool. Just wanted to clear that one up. Um, I, I heard you mention that before, and it, I think I nearly fell out of my seat just thinking about it. I was like, no, I'm no, I'm sorry. I just, it's just, I, I'm not going to sit here and recommend something. I mean, I, I could say, you know, probably a, a Belgian wheat beer would probably be quite a good, a good pairing if you wanted to go very literally. You could go with something like a. Um, a Flanders Brun, um, that's just a begonia if you want it to be very literal. But I just want a cup of tea. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I 
that one. That one's been rattling around my head for so long, by the way. I'm, 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 a, I'm a granny in training. <laughs> yeah, that one's again just not, 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 not rising to it. It's, it's just, <laughs> just leave that one where it is because beer, beer and food matchings has been a sort of fairly defined thing for a while. You know, same with wine. It's kind of like, oh, this matches with this and this matches with that. And it's. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily always work out that way as well. I know it's a, it's a, it's, it always needs to, you know, it's a, where am I going? <laughs> it's, 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 mm-hmm. it's not, it's not something that needs to be sort of super hard fast. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a guide to it as well. Yeah. Um, so I know we have to need to, need to wrap up soon. Um, I'd love to have you back at some point as well. Absolutely. Because uh, <laughs> I feel like this could could definitely do cover a lot more bases with this in the future um so thinking about the future what sort of books have you you know if if you have books in the works what's sort of coming down the pipeline um i don't at the moment actually i i feel like i um well i've I've got i've got a concept but i i don't know I, i can't do anything with it at this point in time so there's nothing coming down the pipeline for a while um just because also I find I do find writing books genuinely draining and it kind of it it, it, it it kicks my it, it sort of knocks all of my um, my writing stride off quite badly in terms of um, wanting to pitch more complex and in-depth features and it just sort of really just for whatever reason just rips all of that out of me um, and so I, I kind of, I really want to get back to my journalism a bit more. Um, I feel like I've neglected that quite a lot. So that's going to, um, that that's going to take precedence for a couple of years. Um, also, the next concept that I've got is very much based around needing to travel, and that's been a bit buggered. Um, so, I know, funny that. Um, so yeah, I, I, am going to, I'm going to park that for a while. Um, I think unless my publishers come up with something incredibly clever and wonderful and inspiring, and then obviously I'll jump. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's, that's me for a few years at least. Um, and I, I do love broadcast. Broadcast actually was the, was the thing that I did bring away from university. I just didn't really know how to get into it I'd had some very unpleasant and personal things said to me as I was leaving I'd actually had a very successful um, um, placement at a at a broadcasting um, outfit um, but had been told point blank that I was far too fat for telly Um, and that's and that sort of that sort of hurt for quite some time and so I I sort of you know again those those sorts of things sort of can can kick you when you're already in a bit of a vulnerable place so um but i love i love doing i love doing radio i've always loved doing radio i've always loved doing so doing podcasts and things like that it's fun to me um and i think i'd like to explore some options around that and and you know a few bits and bobs but i i'm i'm sort of very much in a position where i've been taking this last 18 months to say right okay what do I want to do? Um, so I'm, 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 I'm just building a few things. We shall see. Watch this space. Can't, can't wait to see whatever comes out because whatever you do is 
it always looks great. It's always well written. It's always well produced, and it's and it's always good content as well. Whereas you know, like I said earlier, we're talking about the ultimate craft beer guide being this sort of menagerie of bits and pieces that you've done in the past, making for a far more compelling read than just being, oh, here's X amount of beers you need to try. It's oh. and those sort of books are so dry. They're so uninteresting to me, and I don't think they give back to the reader what I think publishers think they do. It's I yeah yeah they say oh that's okay you know listen there's, there's something there's something for everybody some some people just do love the process of ticking things off mm-hmm. whereas so, I have a habit of making lists and doing nothing with them <laughs> sometimes it's better keeping them to yourself <laughs> yeah um, before we go I want to ask your your sort of been a tough year you know another tough year for pubs as well it's been a tough two years two calendar years for pubs as well but i kind of want to get your if you will the 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 golden pints uh you know what is what's been the beers that this year have kind of you know set you alight if you will well obviously just to annoy mark i'm going to say boxcar mild <laughs> sorry Mark it was, just, it was just it was just sitting there I'm sorry love um uh whew. obviously unsurprisingly because I wrote a book about it um I'm delighted to see so many good quality lagers coming out yeah. that's that's really that's given me so much joy and also the resurrection of, of stars like ESB and things like that. I, you know, that, that really, that just makes me so incredibly happy. Um, I think Wiper and True's one in particular is, sorry, um, beg your pardon. Um, Wiper, actually, Wiper and True are producing fantastic beers. Um, and I, but it actually, so it's good chemistries. ESB is fantastic. Um, their neighbours um, at, uh, lost and grounded also fabulous um and i think you know people embracing that is extremely cheering to me um and i think just it's not even really golden pints it's just being able to get back in the pub with people there's actually a bit of me that says i don't really care I don't really care what I'm drinking as long as it's good right now. It's more for me. It's, it's, this All of this has always been more for me about people. Mm-hmm. I am a people person. Um, and, and this whole industry and what I do is very much about, A, I love to see people happy. I love to see people have their beer epiphanies and I love to quite often I love when I'm hosting events and things like that I have um I I kind of have this ability to sort of stop transmitting at times so I I have the ability to stop being Melissa fucking hole in the room and just sort of pull pull back and step back and just find a little quiet corner and just watch people enjoy themselves and that for me that's that's what I love about about all of this is it it, it is about it's a line that I wrote in in beer kitchen which I actually woke up at four o'clock in the morning and went oh that's what I've been trying to articulate um 
is that if beer is a social lubricant, then food is social glue. And it sticks us together, even if just for a very short time. And that, that for me, is where I love to see everybody being in that space and enjoying that space. And it's a tremendous privilege to be able to even partly facilitate that. And with that, I shall leave it there. Um, Melissa, this has been fantastic. Um, we didn't get through I don't know, I think I had a couple of bits left over there but I think that's you know, we'll leave that for a more ephemeral podcast one day when it can just be <laughs> cool rant and raving about something or rather excellent, then I'll, I'll definitely have a few beers, proper beers for that one then <laughs> get, get, get you socially lubricated up to it um, I hope it's not too long before we're in the pub together again so, oh I hope so too uh, because it's always a lot of fun whenever that happens. Um, That's a nice way to say chaos. <laughs> it's because it's not specifically chaos. It, it leads to chaos. It just, it's just a sort of helping guide along. Um, Absolutely. Um, Always happy to facilitate a bit of chaos. And I just don't know when we're going to go get back to the quote-unquote norm, normal, if you will. Um, you know, I'm looking at dates for gigs in March in London and stuff, and I'm like... Oh, mm. Well, listen, we can't, we can't, we can't control that. All we can do is hope. Yes, indeed. And with that, Melissa, thank you very much for being here tonight. Thank you for the privilege of being your inaugural guest. I'm very, very touched. Indeed, and uh, if you, you know, it would just wouldn't be an inaugural podcast without its own foibles. <laughs> but, <which I> <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Melissa. Have a great absolute day. pleasure. You take care, honey.